Good morning, CU. My goodness. Good morning, CU. Hey, we are here on this wonderfully beautiful, wintry Michigan morning to have a really important conversation. And uh, to have this conversation, I've brought two friends along. My name is Nate Wagner. Uh, I'm over at the well. This is Kelly Bauer. She is the assistant director over at the well. And uh, I brought another friend from the Bible department, uh, Daryl Yoder. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daryl is the assistant um, professor of ministries, uh, but uh, for me, he's a friend. Uh, he's uh, just a scholar, an incredible thinker on these issues, and uh, we invited him to come join us uh, for this really, really important conversation. Uh, so for me, if you think about my, my life as a pastor and as a clinician, uh, there's this passage of scripture that kind of crosses into both of those worlds for me uh, at a pretty high level. And that is uh, where Paul the Apostle in Galatians 4, uh, he says that I, I struggle with the pains of childbirth. I have no idea how he knew what the change of childbirth, childbirth were like, right, as a guy. But I do know that he goes to say, I struggle as though with the pains of childbirth that Christ would be fully formed in you. That Christ would be fully formed in the Galatians. And I've wrestled with that question for years. What does it look like for Christ to be fully formed in us as Jesus followers? What does it mean to think the way Jesus thought, to have perspective the way Jesus had perspective, to manage emotions the way Jesus managed his emotions, to relate the way Jesus related? What does it look like for us to have Christ fully formed in us? And, and the truth is, if we're going to do that, we need to be able to have these kind of conversations on a regular basis, and that is, uh, how does Christian spirituality and mental health uh, and those two fields how do they intersect and how do they give life and breath and help to one another? Uh, so for the next few minutes together, we're going to run that through the grid of five different myths that have become all too common in these conversations. And uh, we believe that if we can help dismantle these myths a little bit and to think differently, uh, we can actually have a much more robust conversation, but ultimately see, realize the hope of Christ being most fully formed in each and every one of us. So here's the first myth, and I'm going to throw this first myth at Daryl. Uh, here's the first myth when it comes to this conversation. Someone with a strong, mature faith will not struggle with mental health concerns. Anybody heard something like that before? Somebody with a strong, mature faith is not going to struggle with mental health concerns. Daryl, will you kind of get us into this discussion around that, please? Sure. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me, um, bringing me into the conversation. It's, it is super important and often really difficult to think through the relationship between Christian spirituality and our faith and what Scripture teaches and mental health concerns. So my, my gut response when I first saw this myth, as you sent it to us to look at, Someone with a strong, mature faith will never struggle with mental health concerns. My first thought was, gosh, that's naive. Um, and I don't want to take away from the, right, the power of the gospel and, and the power of faith in Christ. Not to take anything away, but just think for a second about what we mean by strong, mature faith. If I asked half a dozen people in this room, I'd get probably at least half a dozen different answers. What is spiritual maturity? What is... 
What does it look like to be a mature, have a strong faith? Does it mean you never sin? No, right? We would never say that. Does it mean you never struggle? Does it mean you know the Bible really well? Does it mean you have super, super unshakable confidence and never feel any doubt? Does it mean you don't sin in a visible way? Like the obvious ones are taking, right? So like we could talk about this and we'd get a whole bunch of different answers. It's actually a more, it's actually a pretty complex question. If you think about what is, what does spiritual maturity actually look like? I would suggest though that the, the way scripture frames up spiritual maturity is to think about it as relational maturity, which includes emotional maturity, but it's not just emotional maturity. It's the ability to engage in relationships in a healthy way. Think about the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a relationship. It's not just a feeling. And love your neighbor like you love yourself. Those are relationships. So all of it's played out in relationships. How are we in relationships? Think of, I heard a conference speaker once say this. He's like, Think about your core relationships. If I look at your core relationships, I'll, I'll be able to tell you if you're mature. And I just was like, oh. You know, my wife and I were a few years married and not in the greatest place. We were kind of at, at odds in different ways, and it was just sort of like, I'm not very mature, you know. Um, the other question is, um, well, the, the other passage I was thinking about was the fruit of the Spirit. You think, think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of them are relational things. So that is our, that's our measurement stick of how mature are we? How are we in relationships? You know, That makes it really much, it raises the bar so high for me that it makes it easy for me to go, yeah, we all struggle, and that's okay. That's actually part of the journey. In a fallen world, we're all going to struggle until we're perfectly redeemed. The other question is, what do we mean by health concerns, mental health concerns? I mean, if we're talking about uh, depression and anxiety, um, Scripture just makes those so normal um, for even God's people. Think about even fear, right? Uh, somebody I heard years ago said, you know, there's 100, 365 different repetitions of the command, do not fear, in the Bible, one for every day of the year is kind of what they said. Why would there be so many commands to fear? It's just normal part of being human. Um, and it isn't to say when you're afraid, you're in sin, right? Same thing with anxiety. We heard the passage earlier, uh, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but bring your request to the Lord. Um, there is a thing called worry where we choose to not trust God. That's a problem. But simply experiencing anxiety is often not even a choice. We just feel it in our body, right? It just happens. And what are we supposed to do? Bring our request to the Lord, right? So, I mean, you could get into other things. I mean, tell a, tell a, a veteran, a war veteran that they're in sin, that they're experiencing PTSD. I mean, you'll get set down on your butt pretty quick, right? I mean, we wouldn't say that. So this myth is just so, it's just a myth. It's so naive and it's really not seeing the world as it really is. But it also, we hear it a lot. And I've, our parents tell us this or our Sunday school teachers or our friends or we've just believed this because it's a lie from Satan, I think, um, that, that we have to manage um, much more on like not as uh, biblical, but we were not created in a way um, that, we have to, that we would have to traverse all of the challenges that this world presents. We're not supposed to have to deal with 
death and suffering and pain. And that tension causes a lot of mental health struggles. So that is, to me, that this is like the opposite is true. When you are struggling through these things, that to me is a sign that you have a faith, that you have a hope, and you, in, in Christ, and you understand how we were created and why, but also what has happened, and that that tension, can't, we can't just push that aside. We have to wrestle with it, and that can create um, a lot of struggles, and so I think it's, yeah, not true. I think about scripture with whether it be Elijah or David or others, those that are doing incredible things for God, accomplishing great things, we see them as some of the patriarchs, and yet they struggle with depression, they struggle with anxiety, and they, they write about it, they talk about it, they, they grapple with it throughout their lifetime, and so it just seems like something that's a, it's an obvious myth, except that it's one that's been perpetuated for a long time, that it becomes normalized. We should always, we should have said this first, but we are, we're sticking to a quick three minute per myth. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to move us along. Yep. Here we go. And this is not, we could talk at length about each of these. So Absolutely. please, if something's missing, shoot us an email, come chat with us, of course, I'd but we can't cover it all in this time. So in, in light of that, uh, myth number two, Kelly, I'm going to throw this at you. Prayer and other spiritual practices don't have a role in managing and improving our mental health. So... What I would say first is I, because of the role that I have in meeting with so many of you, I hear too many stories about how the first myth is, you, is weaponized against us. And that naturally, I think, creates a, a tension and we swing to the other side. And like, I don't want, I'm not, I'm gonna reject that, spirit, that my spirituality or my faith has anything to do with this because it's been so weaponized and um, heaped on shame to me because I'm struggling so much. So I just wanna acknowledge that that's a tension and so that I think is where often this myth can come up because we assume the opposite is true when it really isn't. Um, prayer and other spiritual practices can absolutely aid in managing and becoming a healthier person. You think of um, mindfulness, um, meditating on scripture, prayer, any of those like inward solitude calming practices can calm our minds, similar to what mindfulness, there's lots of research on what mindfulness can do. Meditating on scripture, prayer can do the same. Bringing our requests to God, um, that is, that can be a, an incredibly freeing experience. Um, that isn't the only thing that you can do or should do in managing your mental health, but that is, an, that is the hope that we have and that is a resource that we have that he, he needs us to bring them to him so we can move through um, our healing. Um, the other thing is getting to know the actual Jesus of the Bible. Um, I Personally, for me, this has been very helpful. Um, we have been taught a lot of things about who God is or who Jesus is, and they aren't always helpful. They aren't always true, and they can reinforce some of these negative stereotypes that we have about mental health or ourselves. And getting to know the real Jesus and his heart can help dismantle that Jesus that we may have learned about as a kid and can help us truly understand how loved we are, and that can free us then to move through the process of hope and healing. Jump in here, Daryl. No, it's, that's really good. I would, I would just only add that when we feel like this is true, well, prayer doesn't seem to help, and these spiritual practices don't seem to help, but when I go to my counselor, that really helps. Often that's because we're, we really don't, we're not really benefiting from all of the I don't want to say it, this sounds flippant, but like options. <laughs> when it comes to spiritual practices, there are so many. And we, and we often kind of put it all into a couple buckets, like read the Bible and then, 
and then we're reading the Bible in a kind of analytical way, what is the story about, as opposed to really coming to it from a prayer standpoint. Mm. Prayer and scripture go together by definition, or they should, and, and different forms of prayer. I was really kind of, my eyes opened up to this when I was looking at a study um, that, that looked at different forms of prayer and how they helped or didn't help people, which I thought just really was, it was interesting. It actually said people who in this study uh, really believed that God was against them. Everybody, anybody feel that? There's a category called spiritual instability, where you really just have an unstable relationship with the Lord, where you just finally feel like God, God's out to get me. Having folks who are experiencing that engage in what they call petitionary prayer, asking for things, made them more unstable. <laughs> because as soon as they ask for something and it doesn't happen, well, see, you just gave me evidence that God's against me. On the other hand, people who had a stable relationship with the Lord felt his grace, felt his um, approval, like, like knew, knew that he, he is for them. They could engage in asking for prayer. It's like they were set up, they were in a place where they could intercede for others or ask for things and it helped their relationship with the Lord. There was a reassurance. So what the, then they did the other way, like meditative prayer, more of like silence and, and um, uh, solitude kinds of practices. That's the kind of prayer that helped the spiritually unstable to move towards stability. Like sitting quiet and remembering God's promises was the thing that helped them stabilize their relationship. Not God, you know, asking God, please make me feel better or fix this problem or whatever. Just sitting with his promises was what helped them. So I just think maybe when we feel like this myth is true, maybe we're missing out on a lot of, a lot of what's out there for us. Let me jump to the third myth. The different domains of my life are separate. They don't affect one another. The relational, the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual, the physical that they don't interact with each other. Uh, briefly, how would you kind of react to that, Kelly? Thinking about, uh, as Kelly has been kind of working in the area of trauma and the recognition of how that affects us physically and physiologically, how would you react to that myth? Yeah, I think many of us could probably attest to that this is not true because you have seen the ramifications maybe of um, one area of your life, you're going in one direction, you're making choices, and there are consequences and, and connections. Um, so yeah, the, our, our lives are very integrated, all the domains of our lives. Um, trauma, if you know anything about trauma, trauma shows up in our bodies in very wild ways. And so um, read any book on trauma, talk to any person who has experienced some trauma, and you could probably easily dispel this myth. It shows up in our bodies. If you have ever experienced anxiety, where does anxiety often show up, especially in little kids? Kids don't say, I feel anxious, or even I feel nervous. They say, I have a stomach ache, my head hurts, I, you know, and we experience those things today. Um, our bodies are amazing. God made our bodies so amazing. And so um, they are, all parts of us are connected. And that can be challenging, but it also can be very helpful when you're working through mental health struggles because you can pay attention to the different parts and domains of your life, your physical body, your thoughts, your emotions, your behavior to help move you down the path of healing. I would just quickly add, if you're, if you're one who hear this conversation, you're like, yeah, but what does scripture say? Mm -hmm. Scripture, very briefly, 
just speaks rightly right against this this myth. Um, if you just just look at the word heart in scripture and how it's used, there is I'll just say quickly there is no Old Testament word for mind like we think of it intellectually. It's always the word heart or this weird word for kidney. It's your it's your it's all your one person. We think, feel, discern, make choices from our heart. That's how scripture frames it. New Testament ends up having a word for mind and then the the letters kind of use it in the same sort of way as the Old Testament. But the idea is we're whole people and everything affects everything. That's really the biblical vision that you you can look at even down to the words of scripture help us see that. Well said. Let me go to this fourth one. Mental health treatment and Christianity are incompatible. Um, here's, Here's the problem with that idea. We limit the ability for us to actually explore what God has revealed about himself. Uh, God has revealed himself in two very specific ways, right? So we have special revelation, which is what he's revealed himself, uh, how he's revealed himself in Scripture. Uh, and we're told in 1 Timothy 3 that, he, that the word of God is inspired. It's, it's God-breathed, uh, that it's useful to us. And then in Romans 1, we're told that God has been revealing himself from the very beginning in creation, and that we have access to understand him through that. And so we kind of have these two books, that of special revelation and that of general revelation. And those two books have to be able to be integrated for us to actually see Christ most fully formed in us and in those around us. And so uh, the, the idea that these two things would be incompatible uh, seems to be simply out of self-interest and, and ignorance, not out of any kind of well-studied or developed thought pattern, to be quite frank with you. Uh, any, any thoughts on, on that integration of those two? Yes. Um, I would say, yeah, the, anyone can, I believe, anyone can benefit from mental health counts, from counseling. There are, um, it's a science, so there's a lot of science behind it. We aren't just making stuff up to, and slapping it against the wall. There's a lot of study and science behind it. So there are practical things that we can learn about our brains and our behavior and also practices that we can instill to help us move through difficult things or struggles with anxiety or depression or the like. Um, at the same time, those of us who are in Christ, we have a different capacity. We, the lid is raised. Um, we have the capacity because we legit have the Holy Spirit living in us, um, and Jesus has all the power. We, we, we have the capacity to grow in a different and in, uh, flourish in a, in a more holistic way if we are in Christ. And so, um, no, I think... Um, you can, without Christ, you can learn and grow, but we have just a much higher capacity and raises the lid on our ability to grow. Any thoughts on that, Daryl? I, I guess I would just add um, that it can feel like, again, kind of coming from a ministry standpoint where the, sometimes the anxiety is around, are these things outside of Scripture and now we're imposing something onto Scripture? Um, I think the best way to, to think about this stuff, along with a lot of spiritual disciplines, it's like, learning from people's experience, learning from others, getting advice from others. I mean, what, you know, imagine talking to a mentor and they're like, well, what helped you get through that situation? And they describe something that's not explicitly named in the Bible. And you're like, I don't know if I can, you would take their advice and you're, you're, we're learning from others. It doesn't supersede scripture. It fills in the gaps. It fills in things that isn't as explicit. Um, and And like Nate was saying, it's, God has revealed himself in, in general revelation as well. So through the lens of scripture, we can learn from, from these things as well. 
I think the opposite is actually true. I think not only are they not incompatible, uh, I think there is a beautiful, healthy, dynamic way of integrating them. And when done well, human flourishing is possible. Uh, and that's what we were really striving for. Let's hit on this, this last myth then for just a couple of minutes. Um, the antagonism of social psychology toward Christianity means it has nothing to offer. Meaning that in the cultural framework and the way that some of these social psychology things and theories are presented and talked about, there's an antagonism. There's a real resistance to the idea of what the Christian faith is all about and some of the core tenets of the Christian faith. And, and so they, they come at it from, you know, Christianity says that the man is broken and without hope. Um, there's a sense in which social psychology oftentimes says no man can, if put in the right environment, will self-actualize. They'll figure it out on their own. And I think my, my greatest concern here is that if we can take the book of special revelation, which is the Bible, and use that as a lens to interpret general revelation and the study of social psychology and the study of the brain and the, and the way in which people operate, and we use the Bible to, inf uh, to interpret the rest of that, there is any number of truths that we've been able to ascertain and uh, execute on that have helped us to figure out how to help people heal how to find hope, and how to ultimately experience human flourishing. And so we want to be able to, to look through that, see the stuff that is antagonistic to Scripture, push aside that and say, okay, that's not helpful, but what about the rest of it? And how do we employ the rest of it to be able to help us accomplish the things that we're called to accomplish within the Christian life? How else would you respond to that myth? I would just add that, I mean, the antagonism is real. Yeah. So, like, just to name that is, is true. And, and it doesn't go just one way. Um, plenty of Christian leaders are, have been pretty darn antagonistic toward psychology. So, and they were, actually, we're actually all downstream of decades of this. Um, we talk about this in my soul care and ministry class. There's a little bit of the history of how social psychology and popular psychology has gotten to where, where we are today. And, I mean, it's psychologists at times saying, you know, this religious stuff is just superstition. We're just going to cast that aside. So there's some antagonism. And then when they start to work on things of the soul, pastors historically have often gone, well, you people, you're saying that, so we're not going to do that. So there's just been this, we're downstream of that, and that's where we, that's where we are. But um, I think you say it well. Um, I, th I just think of it simply, and I'm open to other ways of thinking about it. But if someone, through science, working with people, discovers something that helps someone else consistently helps people become more humble, more gentle, more enduring. I want to know about that. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you an assumption I have. They're probably doing something that's already taught in Scripture if we open our eyes to it. They've discovered something in God's general revelation that's probably, if not named, it's at least consistent with. If it's actually producing fruit, that we're supposed to produce. Kelly, we were sitting together the other day talking, and something you, you said in that room that I thought was so on point. There's a lot of things that are antagonistic to the Christian worldview, right? So educational systems are antagonistic. The political system is antagonistic. The idea that somehow we don't engage in them or that we should avoid them altogether because they're antagonistic kind of defies the whole idea of God's desire to bring redemption into the world and to bring shalom uh, to be realized in those spaces. And so I, I just appreciated your perspective on that. You want to add anything to this? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I find it so, uh, it's 
odd to me, but I also understand because it's easier to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is what we're doing when we believe this myth that we're just saying like, this is too much. I'm just gonna chuck that water with the baby, start afresh. Um, and so yeah, we do this in every other discipline in the world. And so why here, why should, we can, we should be doing this. Other people do throw the baby out, the bathwater out with everything, but I believe we're called to learn and, <laughs> and, um, and work together to figure out how to flourish. And this is one area among many other disciplines where we're doing that. And that is why it's so important when you're in college, you get a, an education, you learn about the world, you learn about different disciplines, and then you go out and you go into your job that doesn't have to be at a church or any sort of Christian ministry. It can be wherever you work, you are an image bearer and you bring to fruit what what you carry with you and you help discern and use the lens that you have that we've been given to understand. And um, anyway, so yeah, I don't understand this one in particular because it's just completely disregarding so many important issues we have discovered and that are helpful to people because it's uncomfortable or because it's where we feel really antagonistic. Yeah, I mean, I would say too that um, discernment is the key word, discernment and wisdom. Because there, there is a legitimate concern that if you're starting with a faulty foundation, aren't you going to lead to faulty conclusions? That is very true, at least as a potential, but let's not be naive in the other direction. Um, just because someone starts with some false beliefs doesn't mean they can't find something that's true. If you run, I mean, nobody would pass that test. Your favorite author your favorite pastor, I mean, what is in that foundation? Does, do we have to have perfect thoughts before you can arrive anywhere? Like, we don't do that. Um, but that is a legitimate concern. And so let's, naive the other direction is to go, well, psychology is great, so believe everything they say. That's naive in the other direction. Like, no, look at the foundation, test it, practice discernment. But and wisdom, um, but be open because there's there could be really good things to discover there. Simply for sake of time, we would love to have this conversation for the next couple of hours together. But we've got some resources we wouldn't have put in front of you. Um, here's we're going to give you eight book ideas. Uh, Inside Out by Larry Crabb. How does God change and formulate formulate His plan in our lives? Inside Out is a powerful book. Two of the books up there are, are ones you recommended, Daryl. You just want to speak to those briefly? Yeah, Relational Spirituality by Todd and Elizabeth Hall. Those are two professors, uh, psychologist professors at Biola University. They did some really good work in this integrating theology and psychology. The two opening chapters really go after a theology of the Trinity first, that we are inherently relational. And then most of the book is walking through the science of especially attachment theory mm. and just going boy, this matches what we see in Scripture. Boy, this matches what we're seeing, and it's fast. It's so relational neuroscience. The other one, Shades of Light by Sharon Brown. If you're familiar with Sharon Brown, if you're not, you should read her. She used to teach over at our seminary until she kind of hit it big, and now she lives in Scotland and has published probably eight different books. All of her books are, almost all of them, are fiction, walking with people, a thoughtfully written story about people's actual experiences, Right? So you're, you're actually, you're learning spiritual formation, you're learning some of these things by watching people. And it's a really profound way to learn. And Shades of Light, I remember talking with her when she was writing it, she was specifically trying to integrate this conversation about mental health 
how it works in the life of a believer. So I'd check that out. The other four that are up there. Kelly, you want to just speak to Gentle and Lowly for a moment? Yeah, so this is a book that, to kind of liken back to my comment earlier about getting to know the heart of Jesus, that is straight up, uh, we learn a lot in scripture about what Jesus did in his ministry, but this book is just about looking into the heart of Jesus and learning about him. So I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. The, uh, the How People Grow book, Daryl's using one of the classes right now, an incredible resource on thinking strategically about how does the, the core loci, the doctrines of Scripture, inform and help us to grow as Christ followers. We're going to take just a, a, one last minute to just kind of hit you, give you four kind of walkaways that we want you to take with you. I'm just going to kind of start here. We use special revelation book, right, Scripture, as the lens to view the general revelation book. General revelation as revealed in creation because biblical truth is always primary and authoritative. We start with one and we use it to interpret the second. You want to speak to the second one for me? Revealed truths related to mental health play a supporting role. Think of them like the Bible's the, 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 the major role, um, the lead actor. And then what we see in mental health or any of the sciences play a supporting role because they provide valuable insights into how people work. Just what, how they work and what helps them. And just watching, observing people. Scientific studies is basically observing people with a whole lot of intentionality to actually observe what's there. Um, and so they can, they can help in a supporting role. You speak to the third one. Yeah, yeah, we don't base our theology on mental health or any other science for that matter. But our approaches to growth are always influenced by experience and the collective wisdom of other believers. We want to embrace what's been studied, what's been revealed as people have engaged in these practices. And the last one, we believe that God has revealed through general and special revelation what is necessary for universal flourishing when in alignment with God's design and desire. And we come to realize that through how world, the world operates and how does it move towards flourishing as based on the lens that scripture gives us to think about those things. Just the beginning of a much larger conversation, we'd love to come back and do this again with you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and the privilege of sharing this time together. God, I thank you for the opportunity just to have open dialogue about some really important things. I pray that we would be willing to not be polarized in our thinking but to integrate these thoughts in a way that allow us to move towards you, towards what you've called us to, and towards better habits and practices that can help us to become more of who you want us to be. Thank you for your grace. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you so much.